1: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arse Vlog ArseCast right here on ArsVlog.com. How are you? hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. Yes, it's another early ArseCast. That's what happens when there's midweek football. It wasn't quite Champions League last night, but Arsenal had an EFL Cup tie against Premier League opposition coming out 1-0 winners over Brentford uh, at the whatever their stadium is called. Stadium. I can't remember what it's called. Uh the G G Spot Stadium. That's it, right? G-Tech. I know what I'm talking about. Anyway, Arsenal found the G-spot in terms of the result, if not always, the performance, and there were some talking points, of course. Aaron Ramsdale returned in goal. Emile Smith-Rowe started a game at last. Reese Nelson, there was a debut for a hale End Academy graduate. There were some changes in the back four. For the very first time, we saw Takahiro Tomiyasu start at centre-back for Arsenal, which is a bit unusual, because that's where he plays his international football for Japan. At Arsenal, he's played at right-back, he's played at left-back, but as Never started a game at centre half and actually I thought he was really really good for me the man of the match lots of block shots and clearances but he gave a there was a presence to him at centre half that I think was was very important in terms of last night's uh, performance particularly in the second half when Brentford came back into the game and there were lots of crosses and long throws and, and everything else all in all though I think there's plenty to discuss about this game and about this tournament as well so with me to do that from the It's Sam Dean. Hi, Sam. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Uh, You were there last night to see Arsenal beat Brentford 1-0. I saw people describe this sort of as like an Arsenal B team, which I think is a little bit unfair uh, but it was a very, very much uh, a changed Arsenal team. It needed to be because of the injuries, but it also needed to be because of the, the competition. And we might get into a few uh, of the individual performances. Was there any like major surprise in terms of the uh, the team lineup for you? Be beyond the the debut for nineteen-year-old Charles Sago Junior.
2: Yeah, that that was definitely the the main surprise. Yeah. Beyond that, I think it was largely what people were expecting i think actually the bigger surprise and and for me the bigger concern from arsenal's perspective was how strong brentford had gone Mm. they they very much played their first team apart from maybe just matthias jensen so when i saw those team sheets now before kickoff i did fear a bit for arsenal just given the amount of changes that arteta had made and and how few brentford had made but i think um generally i think those who would have seen the game would would agree that the first half, Arsenal were largely dominant uh, and could have maybe scored a couple more. And then in the second half, it got a bit ropey. But fundamentally, they never never looked in a huge amount of danger, apart from a couple of really, very really good saves from Aaron Ramsdale, who I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but no, in terms of team selection, uh, I, I guess I thought maybe Eddie and Kesty would get a break of some sort because he's been playing so many minutes and he sort of played so aggressively and in- intensively against mm. Spurs at the weekend. But I guess... They simply haven't got that many options right now and uh, almost had no choice but to play him.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the other option I suppose might have been Kai Havertz to start up front but when you don't have Fabio Vieira and we'll talk about injuries I guess in a, in a few minutes time it it does give you or it does give a manager a, a decision to make and I think Eddie was actually pretty good you know compared to the North London Derby performance where the touch wasn't quite right he didn't hold it up quite as well he, he did very well I thought in, in the centre forward position and you mentioned the first half where Arsenal were, were on top they started brightly you can often get a, a, a good picture of what Arsenal are going to do in a game uh, by the first few minutes and I think very quickly they exerted themselves there was one moment maybe where I think Jorginho got caught in the ball but beyond that there wasn't much from a a Brentford perspective and Arsenal got on top very quickly capitalized on a a mistake at the back and went ahead through Reese Nelson.
2: Yeah it was a a nice finish I thought from Nelson because it was one of those that came to him with all these bodies flying around everywhere I think Nathan Collins had Mm. just slid in and it was one of those where you have to keep your cool when everyone else is going mad, and he he did just that. Um the one thing I would say just on the on the team selection in those first few minutes was and we'd seen this a little bit in the warm-up, but you can't always be sure, was that it Ben White playing right back and, and Tommy Yasu playing centre back. I think mm. that maybe is not what people were expecting when they saw the the team sheet because to my mind, at least, I don't think Tommy Yasu had ever played centre-back before for Arsenal. So that was new and that was certainly unexpected just based on the names on the team sheet. But uh, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about Tommy Yasu as well. But, but yeah, I thought that first that first sort of half an hour from Arsenal was was, was good without being spectacular and mm. a few nice moments. I think Smith Rowe had that lovely run, which really did provide a nice reminder of what, what he can offer to the team and and, and almost got the, got a second goal, which probably would have... Killed the occasion completely before brentford came back in the second half but but generally i don't think arteta was uh, overly um enamored with the performance there was quite a lot of sort of head in hands on the touchline and <laughs> rocking back he's so, he's so demonstrative on the touchline sometimes when you're in the press box right behind him which is the case at yeah. brentford you find yourself instantly looking towards him anytime something goes wrong just to see how he reacts and he doesn't hide it. If someone plays the wrong pass at the wrong time, you can mm. see on his face how annoyed he is. And he was annoyed for quite a lot of that first half, but still there was never really any threat from Brentford and I thought the defence did very well sort of throughout the game
1: Do you think that I mean is that as much down to Mikel Arteta's character as the performance itself because you know it was tidy from Arsenal we did dominate the game there was 65% possession maybe not quite enough in terms of end product but like you say this is Brentford's first team and you've got a, you've got players um, like Smith-Rowe starting his first game since May 2022 Reese Nelson starting a game a debutant on the right wing uh, Jorginho you know, doesn't start a great deal in there as well. And despite that, there was, you know, there was some tidy play from Arsenal. Maybe he didn't quite make enough of that domination of possession. So, you know, I, I don't think we did too much wrong in that first half. But you're saying Arteta is sort of, you know, I know what he's like. We've all seen him. Um, but is that more about what he expects or demands rather than what is actually transpiring on the pitch. Because there's always things that players can do better. Players make bad decisions and so on. But it might just be him to an extent that this is like, oh, you know, I need my players to sort of transcend being pretty good to, to, I want them to be very, very good.
2: Yeah, uh, it's definitely him. And also the one (laughs) thing I would say, and I kind of say this to everyone whenever I get the chance, which is that, us in the media and fans, we know football and we love football, but we do not understand it at the same depth that Mikel Arteta does and his coaching staff does. And, and when you watch him quite closely during a game, you can see, for example, last night, about 25 minutes in, half an hour in, he went mad at Ben White for something. And I was watching this game thinking, what has Ben White done wrong here? And mm. I could not tell you. It simply <laughs> could not tell you. Something through his positioning, I guess, or, or, or the, the pass he'd played at the wrong time, at the wrong moment to the wrong player, or whatever, but Arteta went mad at him. He was sort of throwing both his hands up, screaming at him across the pitch, like really sort of demonstrably furious with him for like five minutes. And White was sort of looked back like quite sheepishly, kind of unsure of what to say, what to do. Mm. I remember thinking that last night, just like, I I just don't understand what has happened there. And I never will, because I'm not in that depth of knowledge. So I do think sometimes we watch games and think, oh yeah, he did well. Then actually something Arteta would have seen in a positioning or a moment, Mm. will actually have really annoyed him and infuriated him and sometimes the way he reacts on the touchline is a good indication of that um and i'm a, i reckon a lot of fans who sit behind him at the emirates uh, because obviously there's so many in that in that section of the ground mm. i reckon a lot of them will probably agree with what i'm saying that they see things and reactions from him to stuff that you just <laughs> you watch You're like what a, what's he seeing here but uh that's uh that's what the highest level for you, and we yeah. are not uh, tacticians of the of the highest class.
1: No, no, no. I mean, we all understand the game to uh, a, an extent, I guess. But, you know, it's the instructions and the detail of those instructions and the, the game plan. Like, I was watching even on TV. You wouldn't have seen this, obviously, because you were at the game. But one of the Brentford players um, is getting ready to come on, and he's handed a sheet you know, with four or five diagrams on, he's looking at those diagrams and I'm just sort of thinking what's on those really? Like what, what, what does he need to see on there that, you know, can't be explained to him or whatever it is. So yeah, managers, uh, you know, they have a bit more depth on this stuff than we do.
2: Yeah. A Good example. And I appreciate, I'm probably rambling here, so I'll be quick, but, um, at Brighton, um, Roberto De Zerbi basically sets his team up to to build up play in three different ways, like A, B and C. Mm. And if A doesn't work, they've got to switch to B. And if B doesn't work, they switch to C. But I think most people watching those games would not be able to tell you when A, B or C are being deployed. Mm. Each of those players, all 10 outfielders and the goalkeeper, they're changing every single part of their movement and they're running for those patterns. So like the level of depth at the modern game now, certainly with coaches like Arteta and De Zerbi and Guardiola, the level of depth and, and sort of tactical understanding is just beyond the the comprehension of mere mortals
1: sure (laughs) so look it was 1-0 at half time and then it changed I mean what what do you put the, the difference in the two halves down to was it just a case that look this is a cup tie Brentford are at home they probably got a bit of a rocket at half time uh, they got a foothold in the game, and then the the trajectory momentums of games can shift uh, as we know but they they really did have a if you want to call it a storming second half you could you could certainly do that fifteen attempts on goal, some very resolute arsenal defending at times, lots of blocks, lots of clearances. Um, but but the game shifted, the game tilted, and and maybe that's part and parcel of just cup football. I I have to say because it's a, I guess in some ways a low stakes encounter. Um, the EFL Cup, I found it actually pretty enjoyable. I know some people will have watched this game and thought, well, I don't like this. Brentford are two on top, we're you know skirting around danger all the time. These long throws, these crosses. You know when Jakub Kivior has to save a goal with his arse. Maybe things aren't going as well as you would like. But the the flip side of that is that defending as much as attacking, is a really fundamental part of the game. And if you can do that well, then I think you deserve perhaps some credit for it, even if you could make the, the case that, look, maybe we should have been a bit more on it in the, in the opposition half.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I, I don't know what you think, but while there was quite a lot of pressure, and I think that key of Your block was a really good, obviously a really good chance. And then there was the Ramsdale save onto the post from Wissa, But mm. I never really felt like Brentford were creating loads. It felt more like, Pressure and sustained pressure. I think they went a bit more direct with their passing. You mentioned the long throws, and they, mm. they sort of got in Arsenal's faces a bit more. Um, I never really felt like Arsenal were going to be overwhelmed, and and I agree on the defending point. It, it and it's something that's sort of been a feature of Arteta's time as manager that Arsenal have always been quite good and, and weirdly good at kind of parking the bus in that sense. Not 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 in the sense of the full game, but like when they sit deep and defend in a block. They're very good at doing so, and, mm. and obviously that was that was fundamental to Arsenal winning the FA Cup in Arteta's first year. And whenever they've had to do that, you think back to the sort of Rob Holding five three two system and the Wolves away a couple of years ago, and Villa away a couple of years ago. When they've done that, they've generally held on and they've not sort of crumbled in that way. Um, so I think that's something that wh- whether they work on that hugely on the training ground, I, I don't know. I don't think they do, to be honest. But it's something that they've got in in the bank and. I think the fact that the team that Arteta's built is full of big lads yeah. uh, who know how to challenge in the air and, and to compete physically and, and win the duels, as he would say, um, <laughs> is is relevant to that. I mean, that back four last night of White, Tomiyasu, Gabriel, Kibior, they're all six foot plus. Yeah. And if you if you want to hurl the ball into the box all half, they're fine with that. They're probably going to head them all away. The so Arsenal are well, are well suited to cope with that, um, certainly more than they had been in, in previous years, famously, before Arteta.
1: I mean, the... The substitutions of Mikel Arteta are constantly under the microscope. You know, it's coming up on four years now since he took the job. Um, in some ways, it feels like it's flown by in an instant. In others, not so much. But But one of the recurring themes or one of the recurring points of discussion has been substitutions and how effective those substitutions are. Last night, he saw that Arsenal were under pressure. He took off Ben White, took off Sago Jr., put on Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko, shuffled everything around. Everyone came across one in terms of the the back four. Tommy Asu went to right back. Kivior went into the middle. Zinchenko at left back. Um, And it worked. I think it worked in terms of stemming the relentlessness of the Brentford pressure during that period where you know, like you say, it did feel like it was it was sort of coming and coming, these waves of of pressure more than real threat, and I think that had an impact on how Arsenal were then able to control the game pretty soon after, actually, the, the two substitutions. There was a, a great chance for Reece Nelson set up by Kai Havertz, um, but his shot, you know, went just wide 2-0, I think would have won that game, no problem.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't know, I, I wonder what you think, what you thought watching it on TV, but... I thought the game was crying out for those subs about ten minutes earlier. I felt like Arteta moved a little bit late on that. Um I was sitting there watching it thinking, you've got to get one of these guys on like Jesus or Zinchenko or, or Odegaard just yeah. to kind of calm it down. Particularly waited, waited.
1: Yeah, particularly for for the young guy, you know, for Sago Jr., who I, I, I think, you know, he was tidy, he didn't do anything wrong, but it just looked like the game was passing him by a little bit. That was the change I thought he maybe should have made a bit quicker. Yeah,
2: yeah, that that was the one I thought. Um and I, and I agree that he did look tidy and there was a couple of nice moments in the first half where he sort of beat his man, but um yeah, he he uh he wasn't in the game. He was he wasn't feeling the game, I don't think in that second half. It was sort of going past him as you say. Um but yeah, no Arsenal held on and got and once as you say, I, I totally agree. Once they made those subs, the um the flow of it did sort of change a bit and, and certainly when Odegaard and then he came on last mm. 10 minutes, it started to feel like if anyone was going to score now, it was going to be Arsenal on the break. Um, yeah, no, I think I think overall he'll be happy with his substitutions, Arteta, which probably isn't the case from from Sunday's derby. Mm.
1: Yeah, maybe not, maybe not. Um, but you know, they're not going to work in every game. That is just you know that's the nature of football as well. Yeah. Um, you know, as a as a place to go, Brentford can be pretty tricky. Like you said, they put on uh, put out basically their their first team. Um, you know some of the big players and Bumo was was pretty quiet all things considered considering you know what a what a threat he is and wissa had lots of shots of course maybe didn't make the right decisions in in certain areas but you know to go there and to you know to do it with the this rotated team obviously important for mikel arteta in the context of what he continues to say what he wants to do this season with this squad. So, well, I'm sure in the analysis and in the heat of the moment, there'll be things that he didn't really like or didn't enjoy and, and threw his arms up at. How do you think he'll react to this one overall? Because this need, um, which is pressing now, if there are seven injuries, like he said afterwards, if there are seven injuries, this need to use his squad to the fullest extent is is obvious. But it's not really something that he's always been particularly strong at. It might be in part because he hasn't always had a squad that strong. But last night, you know, he brought in Ramsdale again, brought in Tommy Asu, brought in Kivior, brought in Smith-Rowe, brought in Jorginho, brought in uh, Rhys Nelson. And I think all of them played well. You know, some a little bit better than others, but all of them played well. I mean... We can talk a little bit more about the importance of this competition in terms of the trophy, but in terms of maybe giving Mikel Arteta belief in some of the players that he can use, will this have been a very useful exercise beyond that win?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think, I think certainly for the back, the back four and the defenders who, who came in, I think, for example, seeing Tommy Asu at centre-back will be really mm. instructive and useful for Arteta to know that He's tried that now and it worked quite well. That is a good option to have, especially if other players have potentially got injuries. And obviously, we know Timber's out for a long time. Uh, and as someone like Reese Nelson, too, I thought defensively, especially, Nelson was really impressive last night. I think he cut off quite a few counter attacks and, and worked really hard. And that kind of positional discipline has always been something that people have questioned with Nelson. And mm. he, he answered those questions quite well last night, I thought. Um, what I would say is, I agree that everyone sort of played well. I don't think Arteta will be uh overly impressed by the sort of the team collective dynamic. And the the, the level of control that they usually have wasn't there. And talk about those sustained pressure from, from Brentford in the second half and those waves of attacks. That's what Arsenal want to be doing, and they want to be at the other end of the pitch, keeping the ball in that sort of horseshoe formation around the penalty box and, mm. and pinning Brentford back. And and they weren't able to do that, which um I think will probably be something that plays in Arteta's mind if he thinks about. This team as a collective but but fundamentally in big games this team as a collective is never going to play together is it there's going to be mm. a few other more regular players so it was more a case of individuals getting some action on the pitch getting some minutes which they need and some freshness and, and someone like Smith Rowe for example playing 82 minutes starting his first game since as you say almost 500 days that's uh that's really valuable and and he can come on now against Bournemouth or even start against Bournemouth depending on what Arteta wants to do and and be a bit more fresh and, and have that sort of rhythm built up. Whereas if this this tournament ended last night and Arsenal had lost, mm. those players would never got that rhythm again, I think. They would have been sort of waiting for their chances, and especially with the Europa League not... Uh, well, with Arsenal being a Champions League rather than the Europa League this
1: yeah. season. I mean, let's talk about some of the individuals. Smith Rowe, I think, is, is the key one, obviously, because he's been out for so long and he was there last season, but not used. So I know he had this injury and surgery and all the rest of it. But there was also a a long period in last season where he was just on the bench, he didn't get on, got a couple of scant minutes towards the end of the season and that was it. And there was a lot of speculation during the summer. I think you asked him... You about uh, there ever being a consideration to, to letting him go? And he, he played that down pretty seriously. But you know, the proof of the pudding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, it's easy to say things, but how you use players and, and when you use players gives you a good indication. Nevertheless, you know, we saw in that, uh, in, he uh, started in the Odegaard position, there are differences between him and Martin Odegaard, right? Um, He's a bit more, I think Arteta described him as vertical. So he likes to get the ball and give and go. And there were some one twos that maybe didn't quite come off. Maybe that sharpness isn't quite there yet. The chance that he he had late in the second half was a lovely little run and a shot with his left foot. Maybe a few more games under his belt. And there's a bit more conviction in that finish. But I mean, A, it's great for Smith Rowe. He's a really popular player with the fans. But... Is this, when Mikel Arteta talks about tactical variation and, and being um, being able to do different things, is this sort of Smith-Rowe-Odegaard dynamic quite an interesting one in that regard? Because we know what Odegaard gives the team, but Smith-Rowe in that position gives it something different, not like wildly different, but certainly a player who is able to burst through the lines. And when Arsenal are about to, you know, are, are in a season already where we've seen teams who come and sit and play in a deep block having those different keys to unlock those defenses might be very very useful
2: yeah i agree i agree and i think um that that you mentioned that chance and that run that that he produced last night and that is the one thing i think that Smith throw offers this midfield that no one else does that ability to take the ball in a half turn and just go just mm. go through gaps and drive past people and and that was obviously so fundamental to his success in the team a couple of years ago. Um, my, It's kind a, of maybe a slightly sort of minor point, but I was a bit disappointed that he played on the right of the midfield three because that is Odegaard's position. And I don't think anybody is expecting Smith-Rowe to mm. force his way into the team ahead of Martin Odegaard. So I was quite hoping to see him in the left because obviously Havertz and Vieira have been sharing that role for much of the season. And And that seems to me, I mean, if I was Neil Smith-Rowe, I would look at that left eight as the position in which I could break into the squad, break into the team. Um, Because frankly, no one's going to displace Odegaard. I don't think Arsenal, there's there's no no one in world football who Arsenal would displace Odegaard with right now.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So the the gap is on on the left and that's the the slot that, that he needs to fill. So him playing 82 minutes on the right was almost, for me, a minor disappointment because we know that Odegaard's going to be the guy there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought he played well without really stamping his authority on the second half. I think by the end, he had a bit of a knock and was limping a bit. But that mm. happens when you've not played for that long um, and not started a game for that long. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, what will be interesting is is if the, the Havertz experiment continues to sort of have mixed results and obviously you guys on the podcast and, and everyone in the Arsenal sort of fan base has been talking a lot about Havertz in the last couple of months. And if results turn, my view is that that is going to be the big sort of talking point among supporters and and the media that why isn't Smith Rowe playing over Havertz? And I, I see that as Smith Rowe's best chance to, to get into the team, to play on that left eight side. And I'm hoping for his sake that last night was a good step in that regard. I think it was a step forward. Um, but I would still be surprised if he started against Bournemouth on Saturday.
1: Oh, sure, I don't think he will. But I think you know maybe last night was more about getting in minutes, and I think you're right that the 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 position that's up for grabs, if you like, or the one where there's a bit more competition, or should be more competition, is that left eight uh, position because. You know, the the Havertz conversation is kind of impossible not to have. It's died down a little bit, but it's one of those where after three games of the season Mikel Arteta was like calling for fans to be understanding and to to um you know, to show love to the player because when you do that, you get more out of them, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which I think tells you something in itself. I think his words were, you know, um, well-placed uh, because we have had situations like that before. I mean, what did you make of Havertz last night? I thought, you know, from an attacking perspective, he did make that chance for Reese Nelson. There was one moment where he might have had a shot and it was a bit tame. He got onto his right foot rather than than his left. But in terms of his contribution, particularly in the second half, uh, I think he had oh, where are the stats here. I did have them here on the blog. I think he like five made five tackles and uh, mm-hmm. five clearances, four tackles, five clearances, something like that. So he did certainly do his, his defensive duties. His height was useful at times in the box. He got a, a few crosses and corners away, but obviously when you pay that much money for a player, you want his contribution to be more notable up the other end of the pitch.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ever since arsenal made their move for havertz i was sort of um broadly supportive of it i thought um that's i thought it made sense and i still think it makes sense i still think it will make sense but i can't and it sounds so uh like british football fan brexit britain kind of thing and it's completely nonsense and i'm sure somebody like arteta would, would think i'm an idiot for saying it but like I just can't shake the feeling that I kind of want him to whack the ball and kick someone a bit. Like, he feels so <laughs> timid. Like I mean, obviously that's, obviously that's ludicrous. But, like, I don't know if you've seen Dominic Jovozlai's goal for Liverpool last night. No, yeah. When he got the ball on the edge of the box and just smashed it. I kind of want Havertz to do that. Like, even if mm. it's just, like, smash a 50-yard pass across the pitch. And, like, there's a lack of, um, a lack of aggression and sort of, mm. like, physical, um, sort of, not nastiness, but, like, physical heft and like it's all very delicate and soft and even last night in fact like when he was playing a 10 yard pass he wasn't pinging it into someone's foot he was sort of rolling it to them mm. and it all which obviously is completely it's completely perception based and not rooted in any sort of footballing reality but I wonder if that's kind of counting against him a bit with some fans and he looks a bit lightweight which is odd because he's six foot four and he's got you know mm. he's got this frame but he doesn't seem to use it and I kind of just want to see him running and, and do a sliding tackle by the corner flag and then roar at the crowd like sort of Stephen <laughs> Gerrard, two thousand and nine. Even though it doesn't mean anything for the team, um, which I, again I, I'm sure that Arteta and his coaching staffs would uh, would think that's ludicrous. But that's kind of I kind of find myself just desperately urging Hazard to do something more mm. gritty and dirty and aggressive and strong um but yeah last on his performance last night i thought it was it was tidy without having a huge amount of conviction there was a chance in the first half when the ball came across to him on the left side of the box and uh, he took a touch and came inside and the shot was blocked with his weaker foot and i just thought at no point in that move when the ball fell to him did Mm. i think yeah he's going to take a touch and and laser this into the top corner um which is kind of a reflection i guess of, of his lack of confidence at the moment um but I still genuinely, I genuinely think he'll he'll come good. And I thought the signs in pre-season, you're out there, you, mm. should, you saw as well when he got those two goals in three games, sort of both from from crosses from the right wing and the way he's pushing into the box and the chances he's had and missed in the league so far this season. I really do think it will click at one point. But I didn't see last night as a, uh, a hugely promising step forward in terms of his sort of attacking output yeah
1: he, he needs he needs a moment i think you know i think he just needs a moment for himself again this is just perception i don't know if this is true one way or the other but he strikes me as a guy who's who's maybe a bit low on self-confidence and you know understands that the um some of the public sentiment towards him is not particularly positive and i think that's kind of hard it's a sort of baggage to take with you onto the pitch every single time you go on and you're desperate to do something and desperate to um to make a contribution maybe that desperation should manifest itself in one of those sliding tackles uh, in the corner flag we'll see you know i mean it might just be something as simple as that 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 sort of gets people behind you a bit look we all want more and i'm not saying he just needs to clean somebody out to 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 win people over because we have a price tag like that you you've got to do a bit more but it just feels like a moment could change things for him.
2: Do, do you know what? This is going to sound very odd, but, uh, and the most, <laughs> the most worrying thing in my mind, and as I say, I, I do believe this will work in, in the long term, but he kind of reminds me of me in the sense that <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a middle-class guy who's sort of had a very nice upbringing, and I've not got this uh, aggression deep, wide into my brain. I look at him and think the way he's m- moving and looking – with all the fans kind of against him, it's probably how I would like a bit, a bit introspective, a bit unsure of myself, a bit sort of tentative. Then look at someone like Gabriel Jesus and think that guy is a different, that guy is a different human to me. Like mm. the way he, the way he plays, the aggression, the the level of intensity at, at all times, and this sort of like fighting spirit, which I don't know where that comes from. Maybe that's from Brazil, from his upbringing, or just who he is as a person. Like mm. that competitive, visible, like visceral competitive attitude. Which you can see and you can feel and you can smell. Um, Havertz doesn't have that. He just seems like a really nice lad, <laughs> which yes. is which is great. And I'm sure it is a. Uh, I'm sure what I'm talking about is complete nonsense. I don't know Havertz personally, um, but I look at him and think I don't see the the street fighter that I see in other players.
1: Um, not sure. that you need it,
2: but that that is something I think that uh, that has an impact on his perception from the fans.
1: Yeah, it's. I think it's you know, look the whole running around a bit. Vibe, you know, it, it can get people on board. I'm not saying that that's all a footballer should do, because like everyone can run around a bit to varying degrees of stamina and pace. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I hope it. I hope it starts to happen for him. I really do, because the longer it goes on, obviously, the the more conversations people have about it. Um, another conversation that that doesn't seem to go away is the Raya Ramsdale one, which. Mm. Um, was there again last night because Aaron Ramsdale started. David Raya wasn't eligible for this game because he's on loan from Brentford, so he wasn't there. There was an interesting quote from Mikel Arteta um, when he was asked about the quality of Ramsdale's reflexes and his quality overall. He said, I don't think I'm the one to be asked about the quality of Aaron Ramsdale because I was the one that brought him when everybody was questioning that decision. Which... It's absolutely true, but there's a sort of other side to that as well, isn't there? That if you, if you say I know fine well the qualities of Aaron Ramsdale because I brought him here, but I've also brought in another goalkeeper.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. The the follow up to that was well, you also brought in David Raya. So what does that say about about mm. your view of Ramsdale? Um, yeah, it's it's a. I, I saw um, Tim Stillman's tweets last night on this. I'm not sure if you've seen those about sort of the. The discussion point within the fan base and sort of within the, the wider media and I, th- and I don't want to um, mangle Tim's point but I think Tim's view was effectively that I think Arsenal fans have made their peace already with the fact that Rye is the number one and that for it to sort of be a conversation point still from from last night is kind of a, a sort of outdated already within a couple of weeks um, which I understand completely what, what Tim's saying and as Tim knows I'm a, I'm a big fan of most of his views <laughs> if not all of them but on this one I think I think on this one, given what Arteta has said, and obviously you guys have discussed it a lot on the podcast, about the rotation and about picking players on merit, the fact that Ramsdale played so well last night made that brilliant save. I thought his distribution was good. Mm-hmm. I thought everything about him was was good, was top, even, even sort of the the interactions with the crowd and classic Ramsdale style. It was it was pure sort of unfiltered Ramsdale. We didn't Absolutely. see a lot
1: of that on TV actually, so maybe you could just expand on that a little bit because obviously from the the start of the second half when he was behind the the in the goal where the Brentford fans were behind there, they were winding him up, you're just a shit David Raya. Every yeah. goal kick got the you're shit all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. that fair game. You know, that's the way it goes. But you know, it, it it's it struck me as slightly Counterproductive. If I was a Brentford fan, I would be, because th- he thrives on that, right? That's not going to make him go, "Oh no, they don't like me" or whatever. He's going to be like, "Right, I'll fucking show you guys."
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's 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 a pretty quick way to unlock the best of Aaron Ramsdale. Um, but yeah, that's football, and they have fun. Yeah. And I'm sure they've all gone home last night and thought that was quite fun seeing Ramsdale interact with us. Like I think he caught a late cross and sort of turned to them and, and laughed at them in much the same <laughs> way he did against Spurs in the derby mm. away last year. Um, and when he made that save from—I don't know if you saw this on the replays—when uh, he made that save from Visser, which he tipped onto the post, like a brilliant save. The ball was still in play. The ball was still in the penalty box, but he—he he still sort of turned around and sort of smiled at the uh, at the Brentford fans behind the goal. Um, he sort of found, he found a split second to really rub their noses in it, despite the fact the game was literally going on just ten yards in front of his face. Um, but I thought he was great. And what's really interesting now is based on the merit argument on his performance last night he should keep his place in the team but is that going to happen mm. and <laughs> if it doesn't happen and that kind of undermines the merit argument because he's not done anything wrong last night and based purely on the 90 minutes he produced against Brentford he deserves a shot against Bournemouth
1: yeah, right. as some, yeah. As someone who, you know, is in the media, who has to ask these questions of Mikel Arteta, who has to sit there in the press conferences and all the rest of it. Uh, can we go back to, was it post Everton when he made the yes. decision to bring Raya in? Right. Yes. And like sometimes Mikel Arteta is is very frank and honest and other times he plays his cards quite close to his chest And he'll say one thing and you kind of go, yeah, I know what he's saying there. Or he's saying something publicly, for example, because this is not something that he wants to make into a talking point. But, you know, when you do have a situation like this in your squad with two very good goalkeepers, that's going to be a discussion point on its own. On its own merits, that is going to be a discussion point. Similarly, if you had two, if you had Gabriel Jesus and Ivan Toney, Maybe you have a, a similar kind of discussion about that every week. And it's it's different, I know, because it's easier to rotate strikers. You can put one out wide or you can play with two strikers at certain points in a game. You can't play with two goalkeepers and all the rest. But, you know, I, I know what Tim's saying about what what people uh, or Arsenal fans will probably think about the goalkeeping pecking order right now. It seems, to me, it seems a little bit obvious. But isn't part of this down to what Mikel Arteta said and how he said it in his press conference when he's talking about substituting a goalkeeper why can't you have two goalkeepers why shouldn't you have two goalkeepers you know that then not adds fuel to the fire but that is what informs the many of the questions I guess that that are being asked of him um you know when Ramsdale is uh, back in the team when Raya's out now what happens etc etc like a lot of this is down to what Mikel Arteta said that that day after Everton about what he views or what he uh, purportedly views the goalkeeping position to be these days
2: yeah I, I completely agree if he'd come out after everton and said look we think Dab is the better option right now he's the number one for now but you mm. know but aaron's still fighting for his place every week yeah. and every game's a new game then i think people would have gone oof harsh on ramsdale but clearly they're seeing something behind the scenes that that makes Ryan better the way he phrased it and this sort of the unique nature of that approach and the fact that no one's ever done that before in terms of rotating goalkeepers within the game made that more of a talking point and that obviously the extension of that is rotating goalkeepers game to game which has happened more and is what brighton do this season for example um so yeah i completely agree if if he'd if he'd been more boring in his press conference this would not be an issue um my fear as a journalist is that he will agree with that and decide next time i'll be more boring Um, I hope that's not the case, but it was very clear in the press conference after the Everton game, which would have been pre-PSV, I think. um, Mm. He simply did not want to engage on any questions on Ryan and Ramsdale. It was almost as if he decided, I've said what I'm going to say on this. I'm not doing any more. Uh, To the extent that he was asked a very sort of innocent, underarm question of how's Ramsdale responded Mm. to being dropped. And he said, I'm not going to talk about how every player responds to every decision. Like that was like, a, it's like it, that was in journalistic terms, that was the easiest tap in ever. Just say he's doing well and working hard, which he did last night and, and previously in, in, in the previous press conference. So it, it was like he'd gone into that press conference and gone, I'm not going to make this any more of a bigger deal than I already have. Yeah, I've um,
1: said too much already.
2: <laughs> yeah, or, or, or I've said enough. That's it. Yeah, I've said enough. Move on. Um, but hopefully he doesn't see the, <laughs> the sort of the level of fallout and the level of discussion as something that will stop him talking that openly before because when he does open up and say things like that it's great yeah it, it helps podcasts it helps newspapers it helps tv channels that's what people that's what fans want to know it's what people want to know but yeah i mean you, you alluded to it there in your question but the key question is whether he really really meant that uh, or if he was sort of saying that as a way to almost protect ramsdell in the moment mm. um, and that is, that is why i think last night's performance by ramsdell was so interesting and why i think the debate is going to kick up again now after last night because if Arteta really did mean what he say that it's it, it's based entirely on who performs the best and, and maybe based on the opponent and what the opposition want to do, then surely by that measure mm. Ramsdale should probably keep his place. Like I thought, I think Ramsdale was better last night, and Raya was against Spurs.
1: I think that's fair. Example.
2: And if that, and that, these are the kind of conversations that we never really had before about goalkeepers. But this is what Arteta has started, and I'm I'm glad he has because it's really interesting. Um, but the fact, as I say, and as you say, if we never had that press conference post Everton, we wouldn't be sitting here going, "Oh, with Ramsdale now, surely he comes back in," based on what's been said before. Mm. But because the dynamic has changed, the context has changed. I think everyone's sort of reading into it far much, well, far more than we usually would. And yeah, I I honestly wouldn't be surprised now if Ramsdale kept his place for Bournemouth. But equally, I. Yep. Wouldn't be surprised if Raya came in and Ramsay's not seen again until West Ham in the League Cup.
1: Well, yeah, we'll we'll see in due course, and and uh, obviously we're playing Bournemouth on on Saturday. We'll talk about that uh, a bit more in our Patreon podcast tomorrow. Um, just on the EFL Cup as a competition, it is West Ham in the next round. It's a it's an away tie. How do you think Mikel Arteta views this, distinct from the way? maybe fans think about this competition because, you know, certainly last night when you've got Declan Rice out, came off, Bukayo took a knock uh, Thomas Partey's out uh, Jurian Timber is out uh, who else is missing there's someone else I'm forgetting um, Martinelli Trossard Martinelli Trossard yeah just two yeah. nobodies um, <laughs> yeah, Fabio Vieira not there last yeah. night as well and you yeah. assume that's because of injury too uh, even though Arteta said he came off in the derby for tactical reasons he got a few kicks in the first half and it wouldn't surprise me if he was uh, injured as well you know Arsenal fans are like well just don't anybody of any value because they might get injured and it will add to this injury crisis and we've got bigger fish to fry and all the rest of it, which I completely understand. There's a track record of injuries at Arsenal that have been traumatic for us and and um, have cost the team, you know, not just under Mikel Arteta, but, but previous managers as well. But, you know, Arteta came to Arsenal from Manchester City, a club who we know have got like a hugely... Well, they've got a very deep squad in terms of quality. They don't necessarily have the deepest squad in terms of numbers. Nevertheless, you know, they have been able to marry the EFL Cup and the Premier League and the Champions League and sometimes the FA Cup as well. So what fans think about this competition and what Mikel Arteta thinks about this competition and its importance to... Maybe the culture that he is trying to instill at the club, where every game is important, every game matters, and every trophy is something to fight for, I mean this might bear out in the next you know in the next round and the rounds after that, where I think he does not view this as the same irrelevance as, as many fans might
2: yeah, I think if you had like a sliding scale of irrelevance with each round that 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 goes by, mm. it becomes more important, and I think the team will become stronger and stronger. I think in last night's round, obviously, Arsenal's first in the competition. The priority there was was rotation and giving minutes to the players who needed it. And if that came at the, the expense of the result, I think Arsenal were, were OK with that. Uh, I expect that will probably be the same again for the next round. But if Arsenal keep on going and if he hit semi-final final time... You are not going to see Charles Sago Junior. Um, no. It's going to shift. Uh, this is this is a, uh, I think right right now, low priority. But this tournament can quickly become a quite high priority. Um, and I, I expect if Arsenal do get to semi final or or the final, that 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 will be very much. Well, everyone will be talking about it, thinking about it. Obviously, Wembley will be packed out with red and white scarves, and mm. it will be a huge trophy. I mean, I mean, let's not forget, Arteta our, our really does consider the Community Shield to be a trophy. Um, <laughs> So if, if, that, if that is genuinely a trophy in his mind, which is fair play, I'm, I'm not, you know, each, each to their own on that one, um, then the League Cup absolutely will be. Um, so I do think as it progresses, it will become a stronger and stronger team. But for last night, and especially without the Europa League this year, which was such a good place to, to play fringe players last season and the year before, or not the year before, the year two years before, mm. uh, without the Europa League, um, they needed this kind of game to to give them a chance to to rotate and to give to 82 minutes to Smith Rowe and and Reese Nelson. Otherwise those guys just sit in there for months and months and months and then someone gets injured and then they come in cold and they struggle
1: and get injured. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What what do you expect?
1: Speaking of injuries, just very finally, it is a little bit of a worry, you know, going into a busy period, a couple of away games to come Bournemouth on Saturday, uh, then away in the champions league. Um, it's something all clubs have to deal with and all managers have to deal with again maybe tying it into last night if there are players who are going to be out for the weekend the fact that some of these guys have come in and done well for example like my contention is that that you know when he's fit Gabriel Jesus should start as the center forward yeah the decision that Mikel Arteta made in the derby was to start Eddie and play Gabriel Jesus out wide maybe because he wasn't convinced of what Rhys Nelson might give him. I don't know why they gave him a contract so they obviously know what he's all about and what he's Mm. capable of. But maybe a performance like Rhys Nelson, if you don't have Trossard, if you don't have Martinelli, the decision then to use Rhys Nelson in a Premier League game becomes a little more easy and it helps facilitate the use of your best centre-forward in that position, which I think you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Arsenal's best attacking performance was against PSV when he was there. I think there were other factors, but I just think the, as much as, um, you know, Eddie has done good work and continues to work hard and all the rest of it, there's a sort of quality gap there that would make me inclined to try and offset, you know, some of what you might lose with a player in a wide position rather than take something away from centre forward.
2: Yeah, my opinion, and it's not based on any information, it's just my opinion, is that he, Arteta, I mean, picked his best off-the-ball team for Spurs. I think he knew that Spurs would try and pass out, and he knew that intensive, aggressive pressing was going to be important. And that means, if you want to play a team like that, that's that's Eddie and, and that's Jesus, who are two, I think, of the best sort of pressing forwards in the division. I mean, Pep Guardiola once said that Jesus is the best pressing forward in the world. So... That's how I saw it. Actually, in the first half an hour of the derby, you could see that kind of playing out almost as if Arteta had, well, almost in the way that Arteta must have hoped, um, with the way that Arsenal were pressing and harrying and and causing so much disruption to Spurs' build-up play. And I don't think Nelson has ever shown himself to be that kind of player in the same way as, as Eddie and Jesu. So that was my thinking behind Arteta's thinking, in my view. Uh, if that makes any sense, i am mangled that mm. sentence. You know it's what okay. I mean? <laughs> I what mean. <laughs> that, that was my assessment of Arteta's team selection. Um, sure. And Bournemouth is interesting as well because Bournemouth plays kind of man-to-man, expansive, lots of running, almost Bielsa-style play, uh, which means it'll be a different challenge to just a low block, uh, unless Bournemouth changed to and just do a low block, of course. But they haven't been doing that so far this season. So again, it, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if, again, they go for a, a team that's better equipped to, to win those duels and to to battle sort of man for man across the pitch. Um, but yeah, f- fundamentally, if if Trossard and Martinelli are out and Nelson still can't get a start, you do wonder what's the point in giving him a new deal. But yeah, I think that Spurs game was kind of unique in its own circumstances. Uh, on, on the injuries, what I should say is uh, we totally failed, journalistically, to ask the key question of Arteta last night. We were all talking about Ramsdale and Mill Smith-Rowe. And he mentioned they had seven players out. Um, mm only after the press conference did we do the maths and realise there are only six that we know about. Um, so we're talking, obviously, uh, Thursday morning, the morning after the night before, and I've very much not asked anyone uh, uh, who the injury might be. But if there are seven out, we know of six, which are Timber, Rice, Party, Saka, Martinelli and Trossard. Mm. And the two senior players who weren't on the bench last night were Fabio Vieira and William Saliba. mm Obviously, fans will be getting nervous at the thought that maybe Saliba's got an injury. Um, if one of those is injured, which is what Arteta suggests with his number seven, you would presume, based on the team selection, that it's Vieira rather than Saliba. Because mm-hmm. you would have thought someone like Charles Sago Jr. would only have played if if Vieira was not available. Um, and even having sort of Koja Dubri on the bench, you'd probably... Based on that, mm. assume it's Vieira, but right now we don't know and we failed to ask, for which I apologise to all Arsenal fans. Who <laughs> <that's put> today. <laughs> well, we'll find yeah, out. it's an Ibra's problem, obviously.
1: Yeah, hopefully not. I hadn't even considered Saliva, so he put the shits up me on a Thursday morning, so I appreciate that. <laughs> but lucky <laughs> you have a chance. You have a, you'll have you have a chance to ask him uh, tomorrow morning when he meets the press ahead of the, uh, the Bournemouth game. We better leave it there for now, though. Sam, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much.
2: Thanks so much for having me on.
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Thank you very much indeed to Sam. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Sam J. Dean at Sam J. Dean. So as we mentioned right at the end of the conversation there, Mikel Arteta will meet the press on Friday morning ahead of our trip to Bournemouth on Saturday Hopefully, there's some good news in terms of injuries. He mentioned seven players being back at London Colney. He didn't necessarily say that all seven players were unavailable. Nevertheless, you can't help but worry a little bit when that many uh, players require some treatment and have had to miss this game in midweek albeit a game that maybe you can afford to do without a few of those players for. So we'll find out a bit more about that tomorrow. We'll cover the press conference for you on our Blog News, and tomorrow afternoon over on Patreon, you can hear myself and Lewis Ambrose, look ahead to the Bournemouth game. We'll do our usual Premier League preview podcast. If you're not already a member, you get instant access to everything that we do on Patreon, from ad-free podcasts to the preview podcast for every Premier League game and Champions League game, the 30, our Premier League Roundup podcast, Poorly Drawn Month, Discord chat, and lots more besides patreon.com forward slash arseblog. So please do join us over there tomorrow afternoon for that. In the meantime, take it easy, folks, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Yeah, I was just wondering if you saw the comments from Gary Neville during the week and he basically said that you, you're showing too much passion and that you need to rein in those celebrations a little bit. Otherwise, you're never going to fulfil your potential. I mean, do you take that on board? Do you think that's something that you you can develop as you know things mature? I mean, things did get a bit raucous there at one point. Lots of, you know, jumping around and, and screaming and all the rest. I mean, I, what do you think about all that? I'm five and I got a new bike for my birthday. And Gary Neville's a little twat.